You are listening to the Freedom Fellowship audio podcast from Freedom Fellowship Church in Tontytown, Arkansas. Our mission is to love God, love others, and serve both. And now let's listen in to this week's sermon. This is the last in our series on what we have been doing since basically the start of December, and that is Identity Crisis. And so uh, next week, we're going to be going back to Luke's gospel, and we have, we're kind of just ramping up into, I hate to say the good stuff because it's all good stuff, but really kind of the, the last couple of days of the life of, of Christ. And the, the teaching that he is going to get into is just, it is unparalleled. So with this series on identity crisis, what we have done, and I, I didn't put the, um, the scripture up there uh, for this one, but how we kind of launched this series, kind of the thread that has gone throughout, has been found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and that is the first four verses, and Coach started us off with this, and basically what 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4, is talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ. You may be saying, okay, well that's easy, you know, everybody kind of knows that. But that, that scripture right there kind of helps launch this series, but it's also how we're going to end this series in understanding what the gospel truly is and what it means for us as Christians. So I'm going to ask you this question now, and I'm going to ask you this question at the very end. And you may be thinking, okay, well, that's an easy, yeah, I know that, let's move on. The question is this. How can I trust the Lord? Everything, okay, that's, again, simple question. How can I do that? What we're going to look at today is how we trust the Lord, good times and bad times. And I also want to point this out, that when we're talking about identity crisis or a crisis of identity, it kind of works like this. My identity is I know who I am. I am Justin Patterson. I was born on such and such date. I I know who I am. Where I start to have the crisis is I begin to forget who I truly am. So for Christians, what does that look like? We know that we are born again through Christ, through his work, faith in him. But something starts to shake that. We begin to question, what is my true identity? As Christians, a crisis of identity means something is influencing what we know to be true. What we once knew to be true doesn't seem so true anymore. So again, putting in this in the context of Christianity is I know that I am born again, that I, my sins are forgiven, that I am now living for God, yet something else comes in and influences that to where it's like, well, I don't know if I'm born again. I don't know if I'm truly forgiven. I'm certainly living like the world. How can I forget that? I knew it at one point, but now I'm not so sure. That's the crisis of identity. See, our identity is over here, but our mind starts wandering over here. As Christians, we need to get back to the source of what we know is true. We need to get back to fundamentals. So I know we have a lot of sports fans in here. If you've ever seen a a golfer, professional golfer, someone like Tiger Woods or Jack Nicklaus, who 
can go up there. They've been playing golf their entire lives, yet there's a two-foot putt. They get up there, and they miss it. They go, try to hit it again. They start to get in their minds. Or if you're a baseball fan, I know Brady Doty is not, but um, if you're a baseball fan, a catcher who suddenly cannot throw to second base or a shortstop gets a grounder, tries to throw it to first, and it's way over. It's like, okay, you're a professional. You know how to do this. You know you know how to do it, yet something you're getting in your own mind. What they do to overcome that, and I'm sure everybody has a different approach to it, what they do is they get back to fundamentals. So if you're a baseball player, you field the ground ball, you step, you point, you throw, and then you start to build your confidence back up. But what they do is they get back to fundamentals. And that's what we're going to be doing here this morning. So last week, if you remember, Nate preached on grace. And he, he told you, at least it was this way in his notes, uh, I can't remember if he told you don't have a cow or don't be a cow, um, but he talked about the difference between cattle and bison. Bison are meant to go into the storm. They are meant to withstand the storm. And the bison knows that it is able to withstand the storm. Now, he used that as a visual aid to help our brains kind of understand what he was really getting at, and that is the spiritual storms that come. We don't get through those storms in and of ourselves. We have to have Christ. And so when we're talking about these storms, it's very easy to say when you're not in a storm, hey, just trust, brother. That's all you got to do. Just trust the Lord. But when you are in that storm, it is very difficult sometimes to trust in the Lord because the snow is blinding you. You're cold. Just step outside and you can feel what it feels like. Have you guys ever been ear-holed by snow? That is the absolute worst. You just, ugh, it just makes you crazy. So, in other words, the storm begins to influence what we know to be true as Christians. We know what we're made of. But the storm begins to morph and change our perception of what is going on. So for us, we need to get back to fundamentals. We need to trust in the Lord, not just in the tough times, but in all times. So the question is, what is trust? Let's look at that first. What is trust? We have it on our dollar bills. Actually, all of our denominations. What does it say? In God we trust. Which I love that slogan. Anytime I look at money, I'm like, yeah, amen, brother. But here's my question. Do we trust in God or do we believe in God? That is a big difference in just believing in God versus trusting in him. This should be a question that we ask ourselves as believers often. Am I believing in God or am I truly trusting in him? And I know there's a lot of uh, testimonies in this room right now and those who are watching online that can attest to this of, I thought I was trusting in the Lord, but really I was just believing because I was trying to do things in my own 
power, not truly trusting in him. So again, what is trust? So if I can get my two helpers, Brandon and Walker. So what we're going to do is we're going to show you kind of what trust looks like. And if I can get you guys just right down here in front, right under the spotlight. You guys know what a trust fall is? Okay. So hang on, hang on. <laughs> okay, so Brandon, go ahead and take a step back. This is Brandon and Walker. They're going to help us kind of demonstrate what trust is. Now, before we do this, understand that Walker knows his dad, loves his dad, trusts his dad. So he's going to go ahead and fall backwards, and Brandon is, oh, did you see that knee bend? Let's try that again. <laughs> yeah, keep him straight and just kind of fall backwards. There you go. He trusts that his dad is going to catch him. Now, Brandon knows Walker, loves Walker, trusts Walker. <laughs> now, some of us, get ready. No, no, I'm kidding. We're not actually going to do it. But thank you guys very much. So with, with that visual, we understand. We can look at Walker and say, okay, yep, you can easily, Brandon will catch you. There is no doubt that your father's going to catch you. But when we flip the script a little bit, where it's Walker getting ready to catch his dad, all of us are like, whoa, that can't happen. The situation changed a little bit. The circumstances changed. Again, does Walker love his dad? Yes. Know his dad? Yes. Trust his dad? Absolutely. But it changed. The circumstances changed a little bit to where we're like, ooh, I don't know if he can actually do that. There was that hesitation. And so for us as Christians, we need to understand that sometimes we will kind of hesitate. So when we are trusting in the Lord, when we fully trust in Him, whether it's Walker falling backwards or Brandon falling backwards, that trust is there. That faith is there. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Ephesians chapter 1. And I want to point out, so believing in God does not equal trusting in Him. And that's, that's very important for us to, to draw that distinction because I can't speak eloquently enough to, to really make it make sense. I leave that to the professionals. And this is Paul writing to the church at Ephesus. And let me just go ahead and read. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. This is Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse number 7. It says, He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his Son and forgave our sins. He has showered us with his kindness on us, along with wisdom and understanding. God has now revealed to us his, his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, because we are united in Christ, we have received an inheritance from God, for he chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan. Now, we could stop right there, and we could pack up for the day. I mean, that right there is the work of Christ, some summarized by the Apostle Paul. But I want to continue, again, to this point of believing versus trusting. And Paul addresses this. Look at verse 12. 
God's purpose was that we Jews who were the first to what trust in Christ would bring praise and glory to God. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. So let's follow this little path. You hear the word of God, you begin to believe it, and then you begin to trust in it. There's a scripture found in Proverbs chapter 3 that should be very familiar to a lot of people. This is Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6, and we have it up here on the screen. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all that you do, and he will show you which path to take. That is an inspirational scripture. That is trust summarized in, in two verses. For us, we should trust in the Lord with all of our heart and depend and not depend on your own understanding. Why not? Why shouldn't we trust in ourselves? We are sinful by nature. Our default setting is rebellious towards God. We look out for old number one. That is who we are as people. For us, it's hard to trust in God because of our sinful nature. The world begins to creep in and we start having thoughts of, well, God didn't get that person through it, so he's not going to get me through it. We begin, seeds of doubt begin to be sown into our lives. So we don't trust in God. We try to trust in ourselves. So in Nate's example of using the bison and the storm and all of that, if it was up to our own devices, what would we do when we get into a storm? Nate said it last week, we would tuck tail and run as fast as we can. Eventually that storm's going to catch you. But what we would do is if we trusted in ourselves and not in God, when those storms of life come, what we would do is we would try to get out of that storm as quick as possible. We, to heck with learning the lesson just get this storm away from me. I'm cold. I'm shivering. I'm getting ear-holed by snowflakes. I don't like it. Just end the storm. If we trust in ourselves, that's what we're doing. Versus trusting in God, saying, I trust you. You are my rock. You are my refuge. In you, I am seeking rest. So for our default setting, our default nature, we are sinful and we are rebellious towards God. And trust is hard sometimes because trust takes faith. Maybe thinking, okay, some people have way more faith than, than I do. They can trust easier than I can. You don't know what I've been through. I don't trust people because of X, Y, Z. This person burned me one time, so it's hard for me to trust people. How on earth can you expect me to trust in a God that I cannot see? We know God one way. This right here. This is how we know God. We don't get to him through any other means. 
We can't see him, smell him, taste him. We can't do any of the things that our five senses tell us. We get to him through his written word, and we get to him not by fact, but by faith. That's how we get to the Lord. It takes that leap of faith. And I will say this, and it's pretty blunt, but you got to love it. Either the Bible is true or it's not. If the Bible is not true, what are we doing here? I could be at home in my pajamas right now. But the Bible is true. Again, we get there by faith, not by fact. There are so many people who spend their lives dedicating themselves to disproving the Bible. Guess what? They finally give up. They're like, okay, I cannot disprove it. So either the Bible is true or it's not. If it's not, let's shut out the lights. Let's go home. But if it is true, let's dig in with both heels and let's get to work. So for us as, as Christians, January 1st, that's always new year, new me, you know, all of that kind of stuff. A lot of people making resolutions to, to do this, that, and the other, which is great. Make spiritual resolutions of I will be in my Bible every day. It could be one verse. You guys have the, the YouVersion Bible app? By the way, you can follow along with this. I forgot to say that at the beginning. Um, if you have the YouVersion Bible app, they do a verse of the day. That's all you have to read. With the notifications, you don't even have to open the app. It pops it up right there for you. Read your Bible every day. So the Bible's true or it's not. If it is true, let's get to work. Now, what happens is the world, when I talk about the world, I'm talking about the things not of God on this physical rock, this third rock from the sun that we're standing on. The world is outside of these church walls. The world is what we see on television. The world is everything that is not of God. The world does a great job of training us to think like the world. From the time we are born until now, the world does a great job of training us to think like the world. But the Bible tells us to think differently. Let me read this out of Romans chapter 12, verse 2, and this should be very familiar to everyone. It says, Don't copy the behaviors and the customs of this world but let God transform you into a new person by what? Changing the way that you think. Then you will learn how to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So you have two things in direct opposition to one another. You have the world, and then you have the word of God. We're going to talk about that here for just a little bit. John chapter 15, starting in verse number 18, we've got it on the slide up here. Jesus said this to his apostles. If the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it. Here it is. But you are no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world so it hates you. If you are a born-again Christian, the world hates you. 
Now I'm going to get onto a little bit of a soapbox here. Um, but for us as Christians, the world hates us. You may be thinking, okay, well that's not real persecution. Go to India, go to the Dominican Republic, go to China if you want to see real persecution. That's not my opinion. That's what Christ said to his apostles, his disciples, which we are disciples of Christ. We are followers of Christ. And it says, you are no longer part of the world. I called you out of the world. So now the world hates you. So if you are a born-again Christian, you are in good company with the rest of us because the world does not like us. So we've established that the world does not like us. So how do we trust our God in a toxic culture? We need to understand that the culture that we do live in is, in fact, toxic. Also, this is a relatively new concept in my lifetime, that the world does not believe in absolute truth. The thing now, and maybe you guys have, have seen this, it's not the truth, it is your truth. Speak your truth. Whatever is true to you, speak that. Well, let me recap. We live in a fallen world, sinful people living in a sinful world who look out for old number one, right? So if my truth is such and such, then, oh, Jesse can't get offended at my truth because this is my truth. But he was like, no, no, no. But that's in direct opposition to my truth. So here you have two things. It's like, okay, whoa, whoa, time out, time out. What is true? Absolute truth is the truth. Absolute truth. Whether I like it or not, this Bible is true. Whether you like it or not, this Bible is true. Jesus is Lord whether we like it or not. When we receive him as Lord, then we become a follower of his. So all these people who say, well, no, 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 my truth, Jesus doesn't exist. Okay, that's your truth. I don't care about your truth. I care about the truth. Amen? So as Christians... We believe that God's word is absolute truth. The world is sinful and full of rebellion. Our default nature is rebellion towards God. Now watch this. The world tells us to hate one another. You guys remember, I've, I've used this example before, but this is one that just kind of sticks out in my mind. I want to say it was like 2015, somewhere around there, that Chick-fil-A came out and said, you know what, we support traditional marriage. So, and I, for some reason, August 1st jumps out in my mind. That was the support Chick-fil-A day. Do you guys remember that? Okay. Yeah. The news media went ballistic because Christians said, you know what? Number one, I support traditional marriage. I support God's view of marriage. So I'm going to go support Chick-fil-A. Number two, let me give me some nuggets while I'm there. Christians came out and supported that. Was there at any point did Chris, uh, Christian Filet, Chick-fil-A, come out and say, we hate the LGBTQ 
groups. Nope. The news media made it seem like they hated anyone who was gay, bisexual, transgender, whatever. They made it seem like Christians hated them. In reality, did Christians hate them? No. Now, I will say this. This is my soapbox moment. If you are a Christian and you have hate for anyone in your heart, stop it because you are doing Christianity wrong. You are doing it wrong. If you hate someone because of their skin color, because of what they believe politically, socially, whatever, if that is you, stop doing it because there is no room for hate in your heart. Our job is to love one another and preach Christ to one another, not hate. So if you hate, stop it. Stop doing that. But I digress. So the world tells us to hate one another. What does Christ say? Love one another. The world tells us to hold grudges. Oh, you should have seen how Gail looked at me. Oh, she was gritting her teeth when I walked by. Christ says to forgive one another. Do you see how these are in direct opposition to one another? The world tells us to use each other for personal gain. But Christ says, esteem others higher than yourself. Direct opposition. So when we see what the world says and we see what the word says, do you, are you starting to see how we can have a crisis of identity? Because if we're supposed to be living how Christ tells us to live, yet I'm hating people, I'm holding grudges, I'm using people for personal gain, I am not living like he has called me to do it. I am called, I'm not called, I am living how I think that I should be doing it. The world also seeks to divide us by ethnicity, by political party, by class, socioeconomic class, and by social and moral issues. The, the world, more specifically, the enemy seeks to divide us from one another. Oh, you like so-and-so? I don't like you anymore. I am going to end my friendship. You support that, that president with the orange skin and the floppy hair? I'm not going to talk to you anymore. I don't believe what he says. If you subscribe to what it is that he says, I don't like you. I'm going to end my friendship with you. That's happened to a lot of people, including in this church. But the world and the enemy seeks to divide people. You're part of the 99% objecting to the 1% how they live. You may feel at home amongst the 99%, but that is still division amongst people. The world is trying to divide. But guess what? In direct opposition to that over here, Christ came to unite all of us to himself. Now, you may be thinking, okay, well, this is just a 2021-2022 problem. My checks are going to have a bunch of scribbles on them, by the way, for the next month. You may be thinking, okay, this is just a modern-day problem. People are divided. We've never been this divided before. Yes, we have. We're going to rewind. You, see, you're thinking politically. The 1960s, yeah, there was a lot of division over the Vietnam War and, and you know, 
all of that. But I want to back it up even further. Let me show you, this is Ephesians chapter 2. Again, we're talking about division amongst the people. Watch what Paul says. This is Ephesians 2, verses 14 and 15. He says, For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when, in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. Pause. We may be thinking, okay, you don't understand how bad Republicans and Democrats hate each other right now. Conservatives and, and liberals, they hate each other. There's such division. That's cute compared to how badly Jews and Gentiles disliked one another. The racism that took place between those two groups was much more than we can really fathom today. But yet, let me read verse 14 again. For Christ himself once uh, has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. So I would love to tell the people at Fox News and MSNBC, you're, keep, you're doing a really good job of keeping that wall of separation up. But scripture here tells us that Christ broke down the wall of hostility that separates us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between the Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross, and our hostility towards each other was put to death. Amen to that. Let's keep going. Verse 17. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were away far off from him, and peace to the Jews who were near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. That division existed way back when. But Christ came to unite everyone to himself. You see, as Christians, we are followers of Christ. Our identity is found in him. And I encourage you, if you have missed any of our Identity Crisis series messages, maybe you were out of town or something like that, I encourage you to go back to our YouTube, our Facebook, and also our podcast and listen to these messages again. Our identity is found in Him. Now, when we begin to have this crisis of identity, that means that we, are, we know who we are in Him. It's this storm. It's this other stuff, junk, that comes in. It begins to affect what it is that we know to be the truth. And we talked about the Word of God being absolute truth. See, when we are made into new creations, when we profess faith in Christ, we are made new. But sometimes the junk from this world begins to cover us up to where we almost forget. Or we don't exactly see clearly who it is that God created this new creation over here. Junk gets in the way. I know a lot of people, if you have time off, you start decluttering 
especially after the first of the year. Let me get all that stuff that I don't use anymore. And life is good when you declutter, right? So for us, this new year, it's time for us to declutter all of the junk that the world has slung on us over the last year. This is a good time for us to get back to fundamentals, to learn to ground, field that ground ball, step, point, and throw to first base without it going left, right, up, that kind of thing. The new year is a good time to hit the reset button. A lot of people do that, like I said, diet-wise and things like that. But do that in spiritual matters. Get involved in a small group. We have small groups here at this church. Get involved in Bible studies. We have multiple Bible studies that you can be a part of. Read your Bible every day. Come to church regularly to hear this word that we preach. Because like what Paul said in Ephesians 1, we hear the word, we believe it, and now we're going to trust on it. We're going to trust it. We no longer have a crisis of identity. All the world and all the junk that comes into our, our lives, we know that our identity is found in Him and His work on the cross. That is what it's about. His work on the cross. Not our work. Our work is trusting in Him. Placing faith in Him. And believing that what He said was true. We only get that by reading his word. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Father, I thank you for the people who are hearing this message. Father, that now is the time for us to reflect and to really kind of take an, uh, a spiritual inventory of ourselves. Father, that maybe we don't trust you as much as we should or as much as we would like but Father, we have a desire inside of us to do just that. And so Lord, we know that that is not anything that we can do other than to read your word and to trust you even further. And Father, I just ask that your Holy Spirit be that catalyst for us to help us in our faith, that we can step out in faith just a little bit more, that you would stretch us a little bit where we can truly, truly trust in you and not of ourselves. And Father, we say thank you for this. We thank you that we no longer have a crisis of identity, but our identity is found in Christ and in his work. And Father, we thank you for sending him to be that propitiation of our sins. And Father, we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening to the Freedom Fellowship audio podcast. We are located at 990 West Henry de Tonti Boulevard in Tontytown, Arkansas. You can check us out on the web at freedomfellowship.com or you can find us on social media by searching Freedom Fellowship NWA. We hope you have a great week and that you live out the mission of the church, which is to love God, love others, and serve both.